Hello, everybody. It's Sunday night in Bob Country. Usually, Strewman brings us into the show, but you are hearing Mark Lukey right now because Strew is in Florida. He got invited by some friends to go to Florida. And if you watched our show preview, you will see that where he is is beautiful. And uh, so he is not joining us. I'm jealous of him every time he does that. Yeah, he does do that. And, uh, you know, he's retired and and he's starting to travel the world and he's gone next week, too. So God bless him. But that's I finished the book he borrowed me. Finally lent you. Lent you. Yes. He's an English major. He would tell me to say that. Well, he says uh, uh, research. I don't like that. It's research. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I finished it and I was all excited to give it back to him and tell him my little book review. And what book was to, it? Can you uh, say or is yeah, it? Yeah, The Mob, The Music, and Me is oh. about Tommy James and the Shondells, but it's oh, fantastic. Cool. Yeah. So, Stroud Out True, if he's listening, I did finish it and I loved it. Good he book. has a very uh, eclectic knowledge of music <laughs> he does. and movies, and I appreciate that. He introduces me to a lot of things I would never hear, but most of the time he says, oh, did you see what movie? And, and I'm like, when did it come out? And he's like, 1965. <laughs> I'm like, man... I love movies, but... Um, I know there's a couple. Wasn't it like The French Connection or The yeah. Sting or something were ones that he was telling you to watch? Yeah, The, the Sting. The Sting, he made me watch. I came over and watched it. And, and it's uh, great. The problem with Strew is he always says it's on Netflix, and it's, <laughs> and it's never <laughs> on Netflix. It's all like any any streaming it's movie all Netflix. to Strew is Netflix. Yeah. And then I go to Netflix, and I cannot find it. So, it my grandparents called anything with a button a clicker. So yeah. there was like their TV remote, the garage door opener, whatever yep. it is, the clicker. You know where the clicker is? But that's like Strew <laughs> with Netflix. Just everything's Netflix. Yes. So um, so he often tells me something, and and uh, I can't ever, ever find it. <laughs> he told me a 30 for 30 the other day. He's like, I just watched this 30 for 30, and I searched for like 45 minutes. I looked online and it came out in like 2008. I'm like, it's not available anymore. Strew's the Anyway, man. we love you, Strew. I know you're going to be listening. It's a very different show without Strew. And I want to thank Barry for coming in. Um, I'm not a natural host. I'm more, of a, I'm more of an Ed McMahon kind of guy. I like just, you know, saying quips and not carrying a show. But we're going to do it. And I brought my friend Barry. Thank you, Barry, for joining me. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, happy to be here. So Barry is one of my very best friends. I've known him for 25 years plus, I think mm-hmm. now. Yeah, maybe I'm a little less there. than that. I have my 25 high school reunion coming up. So I met yeah. you probably 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is an outdoorsman. He's a father. Mm-hmm. He's a business owner. Yes, you are a charity founder. I am now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a new venture. <laughs> so we have a lot to talk about. We're going to talk all about, um, you know, hunting berries, really into archery hunting. You've been trying to get me to bow hunt for five straight years. At least. Yeah. Yeah. At least. And uh, every year, there's no one more persistent about it than you. And I do appreciate that. Yeah. And I know I'm full of excuses. Yeah. Well, you have a bow now. I do have a bow. I've not yet set it up. Right. Maybe your son can help me with that. Yeah. That'd be great. Your son, Anthony, is the bow tech at Capra. So maybe he can help me with that. But... I'm a little reluctant. We can talk about this, your your love for bow hunting. Um, I'm not reluctant to do it. I've shot bow. I love shooting a bow. I haven't done it in a while. I, I have done it. My dad gave me his compound from the 70s. Right. And he said, here's a bow. So I opened it up, and it was completely disintegrated. Like, all the plastic is just, you know, right. gravel. But it was shootable, and I set up a target in the back and shot. Um, I did get a nice bow. I just haven't got it set up yet. Yeah, well, the bows have come a long ways since your dad's bow. <laughs> yeah. um, my my bow, I actually do not have one of the newer technologies. I actually shoot an old Darton that's about 
uh, 16, 18 years old now. Um, and I know you're, you have the, the new Hoyt. I have a Hoyt Carbon Spider, which yeah. they tell me is a very nice bow. Yeah, yeah. The technology has improved significantly um, over the years, but um, I just really love my bow. Um, it feels good in my hand. I shoot it well. well why, and why get something else? Yeah, yeah. So I haven't upgraded yet. Uh, one you of do these, use a release? I do use a release, yeah. yeah. So yeah. what is new that... So you say you don't have a modern technology bow. Yeah. Does that just mean with the gear ratio kind of stuff or so I mean you can put any kind of sight or stabilizer on or release you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So specifically where um I would see the benefit in a new bow is in the speed and the mm-hmm. uh the, the it, it would be uh quieter. Yeah. So my bow um you know works. Um you know I've I've just sounds a like a rusty door when you shoot it or what? So yeah, if I'm making a shot at 35 to 40 yards, um, that release, that thwack is just gonna, it's going to be a little louder on my bow and uh, the arrow just isn't going to travel quite as fast off my bow. So what ends up happening is a deer that's at 35 to 40 yards has a chance to jump the string. Like they say, yeah. So the immediate jump when you release. Yeah. So they, they, they drop down just a little bit when mm-hmm. they hear that noise. And so if I had a newer bow, I'd have that happen less often. And because my arrow is uh, traveling faster, um, I wouldn't have to, um, adjust for that jumping the string so as much. When they jump the shot, they crouch down first to jump and yes. that's usually when it hits. So yeah. you would think that you would aim lower because they jump. That's exactly what you do. So when but you, you aim lower because they dip. Exactly because they dip. Yeah. So if you don't adjust for that jumping the string, what'll end up happening and it's happened to me. It actually happened last year on a on a deer that I shot that the deer jumped the string and I ended up shooting it a little high. Mm-hmm. Um ended up getting in the shoulder and uh I was not able to recover that deer. So yeah. Um, so that's, that's one of the, the main reasons why I would consider upgrading. I think I even, uh, tried to convince you to sell me your bow, but, uh, I'm, I'm not, still holding out hopes that, uh, I feel that bad because it was a gift. I know. I so know. So it's like, that would no, be a shady thing to do to I, sell No, it. I'm kidding. I, I'll I give would, you my dad's bow. I would, <laughs> I would actually love to see you just get it put together and get out. Cause it's, uh, I've, you and I have hunted a number of times together yeah. over the years. And, uh, but we've never bow hunted and I know you haven't gotten out and I mean, not, it's not for everyone, mm-hmm. but the first time I did it, I fell in love with it. So, well, honestly, last year was the first deer I shot with a gun in about 20 years. So I feel like I want to get the hang of that again. Sure. I mean, I've been hunting for 10 years as an older adult. I did as a, as a child right. and, um, I was lucky enough to harvest a deer last year mm-hmm. with my son, Nick. It was a great experience. Oh, that's the got, best. Got the fever back, yeah. right? I'm excited to shoot a deer again after many years of, of passing on some does and, you know, sure. just kind of being selective. But after I got to process it mm-hmm. and go through that experience, yep. I'm not, I'm not waiting for a monster buck anymore. Yeah. I, I, I'm right there with you. Um, not, not to say I wouldn't be excited if one came in my path, but honestly, um, my goal every year is to fill the freezer with meat. Yep. Um, the family, um, it's become kind of a family tradition mm-hmm. every year. 
um, everyone from my son, um, Anthony, who he comes out and hunts with me, um, to my wife and uh, daughter, Alexa, we all get involved in the processing of the meat. And, and they love venison. Yeah. And the, that, that's the great thing is that the whole family loves venison. Mm-hmm. So, um, we use ground venison in, in, Man, you know, I wish I could do that anywhere you would, yeah. Anywhere you would normally use ground beef, whether it's spaghetti, tacos, mm-hmm. you know, anything you're going to otherwise use ground beef for, we just replace uh, the ground venison and, um, to have, you know, my daughter when she was 10, 11, 12 years mm-hmm. old, helping with the grinding of the meat, helping with the packaging. She's even out cutting it off the carcass with me. Um, the whole experience is um, what I enjoy. I right. mean, obviously, there's uh, there, there's the harvesting of the deer. I mean, there's, there's the land management. There's the um, picking the right day, uh, picking the right wind making sure you've got, you know, you've mitigated any of your scents. Just the success of getting a deer is great. Um, but honestly, what has made it, uh, you know, doubled down and made it extremely rewarding for me is all that time with family. Definitely. I'm uh, speaking of that. I'm, I'm excited to take my son, Nick on his first youth hunt this year. Sweet. So we're, we're ready to go. We're, we're ready to do that. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, my friend Jim is taking me. Um, so we are certainly excited for that. As far as venison goes, I, I really do like venison. I mm-hmm. made I made a lot of stuff. I screwed some stuff up, so, but that's part of it, right? Yeah, it is. It's like I started a garden this year. Yeah. Some things I was really good at, some things were terrible. Right. So I tried making snack sticks in my Traeger that did not turn out well. Mm-hmm. They just burnt, and they just did not turn out well. I made brats that, that were really great. I made mm-hmm. jerky that was really mm-hmm. great. Um I made a very, very poor mistake besides getting married on hunting opener. I remember that. I was at your wedding. Yeah, that was, that was, um, it just had to be done. Anyway, I still get crap for that. The other mistake I made is my wife is very particular on food tastes and smells, mm-hmm. right? And she grew up on a beef farm. Mm-hmm. So she's very accustomed to beef. We get some of the highest quality beef you could possibly imagine, right. which spoils you a little bit. Yeah. But, the first time I made her try venison, she was pregnant and it just did not like, I tried to sneak it in like, you know, the old sneak it yep, in spaghetti yep. sauce kind of deal. Yep. She'll never know. She yep. picked it out right away right. and it, it, it turned her and she does not like it ever yeah. since. Yeah. That's hard. I mean, I've, I've talked to a, a lot of people who say, you know, I absolutely cannot do venison mm-hmm. and some of them you can sneak it in and they have no idea but there are there are some out there who have that real sensitive yeah. taste bud and they they just can't yep. do it and yep. i actually i feel for them because it's a great lean meat and yeah I, yeah i i love that i know um where that meat's been from the moment i harvest right. it to the to the, the the minute it hits my lips i you know i carried it the whole way so I, i'll tell you i will process it myself this year Yep. I, I was kind of in a hurry last year. I dropped it off. Yep. I They did a good job, but I was hit with some surprises, right? So it's like $150 or whatever to process it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that you had to pay to get it ground as well. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that used to be included, right? <laughs> yeah. So I ended up paying 200 some dollars. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I got to do this. Myself. And I've done it myself before. Yeah. I've done it with Eric. Uh, mm-hmm. He's I, I've come over and helped him. I certainly know my way around an animal in in the cuts of meat. I just got lazy. Yeah. Well, I did a actually last year is the first year in a number of years that I brought my deer in, but it was mainly just because Anthony and I went up for a five day hunt, and it was mid seventies day, and mm-hmm. I got uh, got got a deer in the morning first day of the hunt. Yeah. 
and uh, just did not want to take the time right. to actually you know, do a full butcher there. So we just ran it in. And now uh, the tough part is is um, there are very few places that will mm-hmm. take a deer that uh, hasn't been cut off the bone. So, right. um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I struggled to find that. We, we hunt up in uh, north of Alexandria and up where we were at up there. That there's with new with new regulations having to have all stainless steel facilities. Yeah. There's very few places that will take them now. Yeah, they're they're loaded up, and COVID screwed a lot of people up. A yeah, lot of people um, sure. went out of business. It, a lot of people were so busy during COVID because people were processing beef because you couldn't you know find meat for a while. Um, hopefully, it comes around. You know, we love the small butcher shops, and it makes sense sometimes. You know, if you find a good one, uh, but I, I definitely want to do it myself. So thanks everyone for tuning in tonight. We have a great show. Um, our first guest at after the break is going to be Chris Davis. Chris has been a listener for a long time. He comments on all of our stuff. He's known as the paranormal outdoorsman. So we're doing a little bit more to introduce some of our regular listeners and meet new people. And I just thought paranormal outdoorsman sounds like an awesome name. I want to learn why. I learned a little bit on the phone with him, but I'm really excited to talk about to him in the first break. And then the second break, we have Ryan Rothstein. He's the new whitetail author. He's an author of many things, but kind of whitetail specialist for outdoor news. We're going to talk all sorts of stuff with him, and we're excited just to meet him. We're going to talk land management. We're going to talk about uh, acorns and how that's affecting everything. So it's going to be a great show. I'm going to do the shout out quick while I have a break here. Um, Thank you, everyone, for writing in. Um, Twin Cities Walls Unlimited said, hope everyone had a great week. Our October meeting with Steve Panaz is Thursday night in Bloomington. For more info, go to tcwalleyes.com. Uh, here's a great picture from Kyle Headland. Shot my personal best bear yesterday evening, 210 pounds. It was a grind of a season. Congratulations, Kyle. We might have to get you on to tell that story. And then uh, our friend Corey Bechtold uh, has a picture of his grandson, Levi. Congratulations, Corey, on becoming a grandfather. Well, we have about four minutes left. And, um, you've been doing some really cool things lately and I want to talk about first the nonprofit you started as a dog rescue. Um, I know that you have a passion for animals and your wife does as -hmm. well. And you've been involved, um, like fostering dogs Mm -hmm. in the past. Why don't you tell us about your, uh, dog rescue operation? Yeah. So, um, my wife, Shelly is, uh, is really the, the, the significant uh, has a significant passion for animals and uh, specifically dogs, but um, she works at a, the local impound. And mm-hmm. uh, post COVID, there is a lot of animals that are being surrendered, and uh, a lot of the local rescues are being taxed, and they're just they, there isn't enough fosters and enough rescues out there. So um, we had an opportunity recently um, where I had the ability uh, in make a little bit of a career shift and a career move to say, Hey, what do we want to do next? And so we talked about starting this rescue. So we started a rescue called Paws are worth saving P A W S. Um, so clever. Yeah. Yeah. Very clever. (laughs) So, uh, there's a lot of great names out there. So a lot of the good (laughs) names have been taken. Um, 
but uh, yeah, we we both have a passion for animals. We've got four dogs ourselves. Uh, we we've we've fostered animals before. They've become um, you know permanent members of our family, and uh, yeah, we see a lot of the dogs out there that need help, and so we wanted uh, we wanted to get involved in trying to find fosters and and trying to save a lot more of these animals. So. Um, yeah, we're a foster based rescue, so, uh, we don't take animals in ourselves. Um, but we're looking for anyone who's looking to foster. We're looking for people who want to adopt. So you um, facilitate fostering. Exactly. Okay. So our, our goal, the, uh, the, the, the purpose that we, uh, serve is kind of the go between we find the animals that are at need, um, animals that have been in an impound or, or a crisis situation. And then we link them with a the foster family. Um, and hopes to, of then finding a forever, you know, adoptive family. So we're involved with, uh, setting up the fosters, setting up the adoptive, uh, families and, uh, facilitating all of that, helping people, educating people on what it means to be a foster. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, uh, think they'd like to be, and they're a little concerned about, um, how much work it might be, what's involved, you know, um, I know a lot of people, uh, have wanted to have a dog, but they're maybe a little bit anxious. I think I've even talked to you about it. Yeah. Um, everybody has, you know, questions about what's the responsibility going to be, what's it going to be like. So one of the other things we try to do is really educate people on what is involved. And, um, you know, we're certainly biased, obviously, but we really believe that there's a huge benefit, not just to the animals, but to the owners as right. well. So, um, I've, I've seen families who have, um, uh, had I- I either children or adults that have dealt with anxiety and the dogs have really been able to help with that. Um, it, it gives a lot of, uh, elderly, elderly, uh, couples, families, um, purpose and right. life and, uh, they're great companions for kids. Of so, course. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, something we're excited about and, uh, yeah, excited to get it going. It's, I mean, it's, it's very new. Um, yeah. you know, we just started in the last six months, so we've got a lot of work to do. We're taking donations, um, and uh, just getting things going. And now. are you taking applications for people that want to foster? So we're still in the process of getting a, the the IRS uh, mm-hmm. takes about six months to approve a new nonprofit. So we still are not fully approved for that. Um, so we haven't been able to get to that point yet. Okay. Um, but yeah, we're very close. More to so, come. Yeah. More. Well, to, more hey, to come. It takes a lot of work to get as far as you have so far. Yeah. So kudos to you for doing something like that. Obviously, it's a, taking a passion and it's doing good for society. So thank you very much for that. Um, More to come on the four outdoorsmen. It's a hot Sunday here. Up next, Chris Davis, the paranormal outdoorsman. We'll learn all about what that means next on the four outdoorsmen. The four outdoorsmen. Just average guys that love to hunt and fish and chew the fat on Bob Outdoors. It is no secret how the four outdoorsmen feel about Devil's Lake, North Dakota. There's so much to do for the entire family, whether or not you hunt or fish. Steve Carney as well, one of the most successful and respected guides in the Midwest. Well, he's hooked on Devil's Lake. After his most recent guiding trip there, Steve said, quote, Hey, Devil's Lake just might be the best fishery I've ever been on. I've got myself a walleye hangover. I think that's a pretty good thind Hey, plan your next trip at devilslakend.com. 
Hey, we all know Ely is home to some of the best fishing in all of Minnesota, and we brag that Arrowhead Outdoors is also the best bait and tackle shop in the entire area, and it is. For the second year in a row, Arrowhead Outdoors has been voted the very best fishing outfitter in the entire state, according to the readers of the Minneapolis Star and Tribune. That's a big deal. The best, not second, not third, the best. Hey, next time you're in Ely, stop by Arrowhead Outdoors and congratulate Chris and Steve and find out what makes Arrowhead Outdoors truly number one. And thank you. Clam Outdoors has what ice anglers need for ice fishing this winter. From portable fish traps and pop-up hub shelters to ice armor by Clam Outerwear and cold weather gear to stay warm on those cold winter days. Along with a wide array of accessories, Clam Pro Tackle, Frost Ice Line, rods, reels, and combos, and so much more. Whether you're a hardcore or casual ice angler, Clam has what you need for ice fishing. Check out the full line of ice fishing gear at clamoutdoors.com. Power Lodge is the number one source for ATVs in the upper Midwest. With the top three brands, including Polaris, CF Moto, and Can-Am, you're able to test drive them all in a head-to-head comparison to find the perfect ATV for hunting, ice fishing, plowing, and having the best time possible on four wheels. Power Lodge also offers all the best gear to fully customize your off-road vehicle, including plows, windshields, heated hand grips, gun scabbards, and more ebay motors is here for the ride so minivans sedans jdms roll out go ahead feel your engine admire that perfectly installed exhaust your vehicle's moving along this freeway like it was made from fresh installs and a whole lot of love and with ebay motors you get over 122 million parts to keep it running and with ebay guaranteed fit they'll be the perfect fit every time plus at these prices well we're burning rubber not cash Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Attorney Joe Cordell. Business owners and professionals face special challenges in divorce court. In addition to everything else going on, they have to contend with allegations that they are earning more than they are, coupled with claims on their business or practice itself. Clients with assets depend on their divorce lawyer skills in these matters, and that's why it's so important to hire someone that has those skills. Schedule an appointment with one of Cordell & Cordell's Twin Cities attorneys a partner men can count on cordellcordell.com paid for by cordell and cordell Hi, I'm Ben Hageman, and I want to tell you what sets American Pressure apart. We have the best team. We work hard to keep improving. Our product variety and quality is second to none. As an owner of American Pressure, I'm glad to help you. You can reach me at 763-521-4442. Just ask for Ben. If there's anything we can do to help you with your cleaning needs, we will. That's 763-521-4442. American Listen up, Bob Country. I've got some great news for you. The MyPillow six-pack bath towel sets are back in stock. With the proprietary technology that makes them extremely absorbent, yet still provides that soft feel you look for in a towel. The set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. The regular price is $79.98, but for a limited time, you can get this six-pack towel set for only $39.99 when you use the promo code BOB at MyPillow.com. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use the promo code BOB. Welcome back to the Four Outdoorsmen on this balmy, balmy Sunday. Twin Cities Marathon was even canceled because it was yeah. too warm. That's, yeah, Anthony was supposed to run on that this morning, so it was a bit of a disappointment. Yeah, my wife was going to run. She switched, thank goodness, to Saturday, the 10K. 
and did that instead. But I can't imagine all the people that trained, flew in, planned around. It's all it's a lot of work. Yeah. To to get involved in the. I mean, some people just show up and run it like no big deal. But yeah. most people train a lot and um, you know travel and. What a bummer for those people. Yeah, you and I act like we know like yeah. there's anything about yeah. it. The only reason we know is Anthony runs in it and your wife runs in it, but you and I are so right. far from marathon running. And I love how I, I'm very quick to call everyone wimps for canceling it. Like yeah. I was out there running it. You yeah, know, it's like, right. oh, come on. Yeah. I have no business doing that. Anyway, um, you're you're hearing Barry Larson, my guest in today. Thank you, Barry. And uh, we didn't get to anything that I was going to talk about. So maybe I'll have to have you in next week as well. But on the phone right now is Chris Davis. Chris, are you there, sir? Yes, I am. Well, Chris, I, I want to thank you, first of all, for listening to the show and being a fan. Um, over the years, I've, I've seen you comment on stuff. I love what you post on Facebook, a lot of funny memes, and uh, I love them. And I think we have the same sense of humor. Now, I want to preface that I've only talked to you for about a minute or two, but I wanted to reach out, get to know you. Obviously, your name is Paranormal Outdoorsman, so that was terribly interesting to me. And so we're going to dive into that a little bit. But first off, I just wanted to thank you for being a listener. Well, thanks for thanks for putting on such a good show, guys. Man, I really appreciate that. I looked uh, at some of the stuff you wrote. I see you did a review of our show in like 2018, so that's, that's street cred right there. You've been listening for a while, so I really, really appreciate it. So, Chris, let's get into you a little bit. Where where do you live? Uh, I live in Willerney. If you're local and you don't know, we're inside Montemidi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're right by White Bear Lake. I'm maybe six blocks from the lake. Nice. You're six blocks from White Bear? Yep. Now, I live relatively close to White Bear. I have not figured that lake out. Are you an expert on fishing White Bear Lake, and can you take me? Um, I've only found little ones there. I can never, I caught one three pound bass out of there in six years of fishing it. <laughs> Your luck sounds like my luck. When I first, when I first moved to the area, I hit it hard thinking, man, I moved right next to White Bear Lake. I'm going to fish it all the time. Um, I, I, you know, I've caught random bass. I've caught a few, um, crappies, but just nothing of size. I just, I just can't figure it out. So at least I know that I'm not the idiot here. No, nah, it's a tough lake. Yeah. And it's almost, well, it's really clear. There's a lot of water. Um, yeah. And a lot of people fishing it. So I usually avoid white bear lake, but it's, it's a shame cause it is such a beautiful lake. Uh, lately I don't even go on the boat anymore. Our boat's down for repair. I just take my daughter over to the dock. Nice. And we go we go fishing over um that's you know just go to the dock. The I public. can't think of the park that it's in right now. Mhm. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's there's a there's couple a, uh, There is a fishing dock, a uh, fishing pier on White Bear Lake. Uh-huh. That's awesome. So your name Paranormal Outdoorsman, obviously you love the outdoors. Is fishing your number one game in the outdoors? Do you hunt as well or what what about the outdoors do you love the most? Fishing. Oh yeah, sounds like you're getting your daughter into fishing. What was that? Sounds like you're getting your daughter into fishing as well. She has been fishing since she was old enough to sit up by herself. I would just have her in my lap, hand her the rod, and just let her just dap it on the surface. That's awesome, man. She, that, that's what it's she all about. She was maybe about eight months old. 
<laughs> That's great to hear. Love to hear uh, that we're getting the younger generations into the outdoors, whether it's fishing, hunting, or anything. So, Chris, um, so you're a fisherman. I saw some of your videos. Are you into tying flies as well? Yes, uh, I actually do more fly tying and lure making than I do fishing anymore. So how did you learn about fly tying, or did you just trial trial by fire? Um, I had found my grandfather's kit when I was a kid and made my own vice out of just parts that were in it that I could salvage. And I, it was probably 30 years old when I was a kid. So you just started tying and learning as you go. And so you have a Twitch stream. Do you, do you just kind of take viewers and along for the ride and tie them or how does that work? Yep. Um, I will tie several different kinds of flies usually during a stream. Uh Uh, I have ADHD, so I can't stick to one fly very long. I get bored. (laughs) Well, then you're a multitasker. You don't have ADHD. You're just a multitasker, right? Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So I'm not super familiar with Twitch. What, what is it basically like, uh, can you just give a brief rundown of what a Twitch stream does? Uh, you go live, you can pre-record the stuff, but 99% of the people go live and you get viewers in a chat room and they get to ask you questions or talk amongst themselves and stuff while you're streaming for them. Chris, I, I, uh, my, my kids are into this Twitch, and I always thought this was for video games. This is the first time I'm hearing of someone who you know fishes or hunts or does something even remotely related that's on Twitch, and I realized that I might be really dating myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm assuming that uh, you're not the only one on Twitch that uh, has this type of content? No, no, I'm not. There is a, there is a group of us that do fly tying. Very cool. Very cool. I may have to check that out. Yeah. So um, I am not a fly fisherman, but uh, I've got a couple family members who have gotten into it recently. I've got a brother who lives out in Denver who is absolutely addicted to it. Um, so do you get out and do some fly? I'm assuming if you tie your flies, you're getting out and doing some fly fishing as well. I have a fly rod that I've had for two years that has not touched the water yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so are you, are you selling your flies or uh, what are you doing with the flies that you tie? Um, I sell them. I haven't really sold any. I think I've sold maybe about two dozen of them. Okay. So it's just a hobby, um, just something you like to do for fun. Yeah, it's it's relaxing for me. Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. Well, we have to get to the second half of your name, right? Because it's terribly interesting. The second part is, uh, you know, paranormal outdoorsman. So you mentioned on the phone briefly, you do paranormal investigations. Can you just give a brief synopsis of that i just think that's crazy interesting it's kind of like you would see on the shows only we don't have a camera crew following us around i do live stream it once in a while it's kind of hard you know when you're doing a 12-hour investigation a live stream all 12 hours of it wow (laughs) have you ever encountered paranormal activity firsthand yes can oh. you can you give a real brief summary of that event? Oh, many times, but one that still sticks out in my mind and it's been 12, 13 years now since it happened was watching an arm come through my wall. 
Oh my. <laughs> that would and uh I, I'm a skeptic. Yeah. Okay. My first thought was somebody had broken into my house. Yeah, that would be natural. <laughs> it wasn't until about two hours later after looking all through the house and in the attic for this person that my mind went, you watched it come through the wall. <laughs> that uh, that would change my life if I saw something like that. I don't, how about you, Barry? Uh, I don't even know what to say. So, uh, Chris, the arm came through the wall. So was it uh, was there a hole in the wall afterwards? Was it like was it trans? Was this like a ghost? Was it a translucent arm? I mean, I I, I need some more info. I'm just I'm curious. Oh, it was right in front of my face. And when I called my landlord to tell them somebody broke in, my first description to them was it was about the size of John Wayne's hand. <laughs> okay. And if you've ever watched a John Wayne movie, you've seen he had huge hands. Wow. So what did you do? Like you are you sitting GM there? Five. Yeah, exactly. Did you? I mean, did you? Did you? I, I would be. I mean, I I would probably jump and run out of the room. Um, what was your reaction? Well, I got out a digital voice recorder afterwards. Oh, okay. So do you and have and was just asking questions and hey, if anybody wants to talk, you can talk to me through this and Did you did did the arm respond to you? I I moved a couple days later oh. and all of my stuff got left behind. Okay. <laughs> I'd probably uh, do the my, same. Uh, landlords kind of kind of just took all my stuff. And... Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I I probably would have uh, moved myself that night. Well, so. honestly, if that happened to me, I would also become a paranormal investigator. Yeah. So I mean, kudos to you, Chris. It's that's awesome. And I, believe me, I everyone listening should go check out Paranormal Outdoorsman. You have incredibly funny stuff, uh, great memes. Uh, I haven't watched a full Twitch yet. But I'm gonna have to watch a paranormal investigation. Do you know? Do you have one coming up? Um, I will actually be streaming. Hopefully, we'll be doing one the second of November. Um, I will post it on my Facebook page. Okay, that'd be great. If you if you can come up with an arm coming out of the wall again, I will be watching. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I think you'll you'll be uh, a lot of people watching. But uh, Chris. I'm telling you, you're, you're a great guy. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. And we want to do this in the future. Reach out to more listeners and get their stories because that is awesome. And good for you. Keep getting your daughter fishing. And thank you so much for being a listener, okay? Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Chris. All right, man. There we go. There's Chris Davis, the paranormal outdoorsman. Well, that's that's awesome and weird and cool all at the same time. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite the story. Um yeah, I, I don't know really what more to say than I... <laughs> <laughs> Just in time for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need Chris back on the Halloween special. Yeah, that might not be a bad idea. Yeah, it's, it's have that you time ever, of year. Have you ever encountered a paranormal experience? No, I haven't. But I will say when I'm walking into the woods in the morning mm -hmm. for a morning hunt and it is Way to tie it back dark. to the outdoors, yes, Barry. Yes, but I, I, honestly, <laughs> um, I I mean, it is, it is a very spooky feeling to walk into a pitch dark woods. It is. And I've had those moments where you know it, it, al it almost harkens back to when you're yep. a kid walking up the stairs and you're mm -hmm. running because you don't want that uh right, whatever's behind you, to catch. you yeah yeah that's because i don't like to i don't like to walk in with flashlight 
um, cause I don't want to spook anything. Right. So when I'm walking through that pitch dark, I've had some moments where I, you know, you have that, that irrational feeling that something's behind you or something's feels, watching you. Sometimes yeah. I get that feeling like yeah. something's watching you. Yeah, right? exactly. So, I mean, that, that's the closest thing that I can compare. <laughs> I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen like an arm come out while I'm, you know, while I'm in a deer stand, but, um, it certainly is that kind of almost existential feeling that there's something there watching. So, right. Yeah, it is. It is a little spooky in the in the pitch dark woods. So, well, thanks, Chris, for calling in. That was really cool. Um, up next, we're going to have Ryan Rothstein, the outdoor news writer. He's going to talk a lot about whitetail, and we obviously talked some of that. You recently have become involved in managing your family land, right? So we're gonna yeah. we're gonna yeah, talk a little bit about that with Ryan as well. You you got cellular trail cams this year correct i do yeah i've had trail cams up for years but this is the first year i'm using cellular cams i compare so. that to um a father of young boys where i show everyone i can you know pictures of hockey pictures yeah, of i know catching fish everyone i know wants to show yeah and it's a good thing, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. I have to remind myself that what I see on my you know on my app is only exciting to me. Nobody else cares because there's no <laughs> there's no context for anyone else. I know that this is a specific you know. Yeah. This, this is a the, you have the, a personal relationship with what you see. Yeah. This on is your the, cam. Yeah. This is the stand that I you know scouted out that I worked hard to put up. We cut the shooting lane, and this is the camera. On the, this is my special spot, right? Right. And so I have the context, and so it's exciting for me when that eight point comes in yeah but to everyone else it's just another picture of a deer and so it sometimes it, it almost works against you if you know what's in the area and then you sit down on opening morning and you don't see a dang thing yeah well you're right i mean it, that is true it's really helped for me with patterning yeah um you know really um over the years trying to decide where we're going to set up stands i mean obviously deer don't you know, they don't walk the same trail every morning and every night, mm -hmm. but they do develop some patterns. And the, the cameras have really helped me understand, specifically with some of the bucks, when they're coming out, if they're coming out during legal shooting. You know, typically they don't, you know, mm -hmm. until we get closer to the rut. Um, but it's helped me understand what parts of our land, um, what parts of our land I can actually set up and hope to maybe catch one of those early season bucks pre-rut. How many, how many cellular cams do you have up? I just have two cellular cams. I've, I think I've got seven or eight cams. How much is that a month in like cell bills? I think it's like 30, 35, but I, I should total probably know. Well, no, I think it's each. Um, but I should, each? yeah, I should probably know, wow. but it's, it's, I'm, <laughs> what's it like being rich? I hope, yeah, I hope my wife's not listening because, <laughs> um, it's one of those things where it's one of those subscriptions that just kind of gets yeah. lost in the shuffle yeah. with everything I have else. Plenty. I'm dogging you, but that's probably yeah. more valuable than half of my subscriptions. Yeah. I honestly don't know. Cause it's been a couple, it's been a couple of years now since I set those up. So I think it's like 35 bucks a month, but you better check on that. I should check. Anyway, up next, Ryan Rothstein of Outdoor News is going to talk more whitetail with us next on The Four Outdoorsmen. Systems four wheels of fun ATV giveaway. Whoa! Listen every weekday morning at 7:50 for your keyword to win a 2023 Can-Am Maverick Trail side by side. Get the full details at mypopcountry.com. Dezeal Heating and AC has let the dogs out. <laughs> 
For a limited time, buy two, get one free. That's right, buy a furnace and AC and get a free water heater. If your water heater is getting up there in age, there's a good chance it's the same age as your heating and cooling system. Save on monthly utility bills with new efficient equipment that comes with a free industry-leading warranty and may qualify for additional rebates. For details, call Dezeal's Comfort Consultants or go to DezealHVAC.com. Hey, I'll tell you what, it's almost fall, right? The fall colors are blooming all over the place, and i tell you what, it's the perfect time of the year to head to Ely, Minnesota. September and October still offer great open water fishing. Grouse hunting numbers are up, and Arrowhead Outdoors can help you with either one of them. Everyone knows that Arrowhead Outdoors in Ely on the east end of town is the best and biggest fishing, hunting, and camping store in the entire area. And Chris and Steve, you know as well as I do, they're two of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. Whatever you need for the outdoors, Arrowhead Outdoors in Ely, Minnesota has it. You stop in and tell Chris and Steve that Strewman sent you. I appreciate it. Arrowhead Outdoors. Now we're going to go to uh, Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Hey, I'll tell you what. Again, I did this last week as well. We have to congratulate Minnesota's John Hoyer. He captured the second consecutive National Walleye Tour title, and this year it was on Devil's Lake in Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Why Devil's Lake? Why would they have a big fishing tournament there? Because it's obvious. Devil's Lake is home to a lot of walleyes and a lot of big walleyes. And Devil's Lake offers plenty of options when you get off the water as well. Bring your shotgun for an afternoon of cast and blast. Then spend your evening at one of the many, many fine dining restaurants in town. Devil's Lake, North Dakota. I'll tell you what. If it's good enough for the pros, it's good enough for you. Clam Outdoors has what ice anglers need for ice fishing this winter. From portable fish traps and pop-up hub shelters to ice armor by clam outerwear and cold weather gear to stay warm on those cold winter days. Along with a wide array of accessories, clam pro tackle, frost ice line, rods, reels, and combos, and so much more. Whether you're a hardcore or casual ice angler, clam has what you need for ice fishing. Check out the full line of ice fishing gear at clamoutdoors.com. Power Lodge is the number one source for ATVs in the upper Midwest. With the top three brands, including Polaris, CF Moto, and Can-Am, you're able to test drive them all in a head-to-head comparison to find the perfect ATV for hunting, ice fishing, plowing, and having the best time possible on four wheels. Power Lodge also offers all the best gear to fully customize your off-road vehicle, including plows, windshields, heated hand grips, gun scabbards, and more. Welcome back to the Four Outdoorsmen. Mark here. I'm with my good friend Barry. Barry and I have done all sorts of stuff in the outdoors. Yes, we have. He's very much like me where we just go out and have fun. We're not necessarily experts. You're getting right. good at, at bow hunting, mm-hmm. but uh, we've had some wild times. Yes, we we've have. We've been stuck in boats. We've been duck hunting, even though we didn't. That was 20 years ago and we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Well, I would say most of our experiences, well, I should say very few of our experiences have actually been successful. True. Um, but we've <laughs> been out a number of times and we've certainly given the old college try. A <laughs> that of times. is true. Yeah. That so. is true. But this show is for getting people on that actually know what they're talking about. Hence, our next guest, Ryan. Ryan, are you there? Yes, sir. Ryan, is it Rothstein or Steen? 
Well, it depends on uh, what side of the river you're from, but where <laughs> I'm from, we say Rothstein. <laughs> yep, yep. That's always it. It could go either way a lot of times, but I'll try to remember that. Ryan Rothstein, thank you so much for joining us. Ryan, you're an outdoor news writer. Your specialty is whitetail. Obviously, you got to be excited for this time of year. Have you gotten out bow hunting yet? Is it too hot for you? What's what's the latest in your world? I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I haven't been out in Minnesota yet. I did get out uh, western Nebraska mule deer hunting at the beginning of the month, last month. But, uh, yeah, I haven't really been out yet. Um, I'm just kind of biding my time. I'd like to get some does harvested. But, yeah, conditions haven't exactly been ideal yet. But it sounds like there's a really nice cold front coming next week. So that might be the maiden voyage for the year. Yeah, don't be embarrassed. The, the The weather, I I usually would have been out two or three times already, and I got out opener, but that was it. It's been it's been way way too warm. Well, the one thing that makes me feel a little better is uh, you know emailing back and forth with Tim Spielman, the editor at Outdoor News. He keeps saying, "Yeah, I must not be a diehard. I haven't been out," and I say, "Man, I haven't been out either. So if I haven't been out, you have nothing bad to feel about." <laughs> well, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Um, where did you grow up? How did you get into the outdoors? Did you have a mentor you need to thank? So on and so forth. Yeah, sure. Well, I was born and raised in central Minnesota, uh, just a little bit west of St. Cloud. Mm -hmm. And I, my entire life, I don't ever remember not being obsessed with deer. Um, you know, my dad and grandpa and uncle, they had me out in the woods by the time I could walk. And I just don't, ever remember i just have always been obsessed with them so it kind of led to you know as i got older i would read deer and deer hunting and outdoor news and bow hunter magazine and just any piece of material i could get my hands on to learn more about deer and uh it kind of coalesced into going to school for that sort of thing so uh got my master's in wildlife management from uh, texas a&m university kingsville from the caesar clayberg wildlife research institute in south texas uh, yeah, and then I made it back home here and, uh, you know, just keeping on, keeping on. More deer hunting, more writing about it, um, land management. That's really kind of my, my forte, I guess. Fantastic. How did you get into the, obviously you have the background, the ecological, if you will, background. Um, how did you get into the writing itself? Is it something you just picked up or did you have to train to do that? Well, I... I don't know. I've always been a, an okay writer, I guess. And uh, during my undergrad, I did uh, a minor in creative writing, which helped. But, uh, you know, part of it is just, uh, I guess I bugged Tim Spielman long enough where he's like, fine, I'll let you write if you just stop bugging me. <laughs> but no, it's, it's something I've always enjoyed doing. Um, you know, especially it's, it's easy for me to write about things like deer and deer hunting, because I could sit here and talk to you guys for hours about it, and I could write just as long. Right. I suppose you feel constrained to it for an article. I mean, you could probably, you know, sit on a two hour podcast and just talk nonstop about it. You have to kind of constrain yourself in an article. That's got to be tough sometimes, right? You know, if anything, it has forced me to be a better writer because there are obviously word count limits that I deal with now. And, you know, it, it forces me to really pick and choose the words that matter versus the ones that don't. But Unfortunately for you guys, you get to listen to me just ramble on, so there's no editing going on. <laughs> no, it's no problem. It's amazing how quickly 15 minutes goes. So um, mm -hmm. like like a article, um, we always have to like jump to new points really quickly, which I, I do appreciate sure. a good podcast where you can just sit and talk for an hour in, in detail. 
but uh, in mm-hmm. radio, you're always like, okay, what's the next thing? So there's there's a bunch of things I want to talk to you about. We talked a little bit on the phone. You had a really interesting point about acorns this year. Can you dive into that a little bit? And my friend Barry here is getting into land management, mm-hmm. and he wants he wants all the pointers you can get. So can you tell us what you told me about acorns and, and how that's going to affect this year? Yeah, so that has been really interesting to watch as summer's kind of given way to fall here. Um, oaks, in general, at least every two to five years, go through what they call a mass year, which just is basically a bumper crop of acorns. It's a similar concept to how white-tailed deer will time their birth period so that it's predator swamping, right? So mm-hmm. that you can't possibly kill all the fawns. Well, this, these mast years, it's a way so that you can't possibly have the critters eat all the acorns. Um, but I've never seen a year quite like this. Just the sheer amount of acorns is insane. So I'm thinking, I don't know for sure, but I think it could have something to do with the amount of moisture we ended up with this spring from the snow melt, and it's a mask year. So now it's really shaping my hunting strategy, at least in the middle part of the season here, because where I would normally probably be keying on some food plots or wood edges still, I I think we're going to deal with a lot of deer holding tight in timber because they hardly have to get up out of their beds right now. Mm -hmm. That's a a good point. I was actually just thinking that and going to ask you, this is is the second year our property, we've got about 80 acres and about 75% of it is field. And we uh, planted, uh, last year we had corn uh, for the first time in a number of years, and this year we've got soybean. And uh, the the farmer that's leasing it, I asked if he could leave a few rows in a couple key stand locations. And uh, I've really been anticipating uh, sitting over the top of uh, that that soybean field. But I'm wondering, and you may have already answered my question, I'm wondering if this this acorn crop might have to affect my strategy. I'm wondering if, yeah, they are going to be holding out. Uh, or holding into the woods and maybe not needing to come out into those fields as uh, as early. Well, and I think it's going to depend on how long you have to hunt because at least up until the acorns are gone, maybe that early to mid-November or once rut activity really picks up. Um, yeah, it, this is where I struggle this time of year is I typically try to have as little impact as possible getting farther in the woods. Right. But Man, some, sometimes it's justified if that's where the deer are and you think that there's a buck that you'd have that's killable. This is the kind of year where it may you may just have to take a bit of a flyer and get a little aggressive earlier than you would normally just because of that acorn factor. Yeah, that's very interesting. I did, uh, I, we do have a new stand set up in kind of that uh, location that I was going to hold out for the rut. And, um, but we are, we set the stand up right near a couple of oak trees. I'm now wondering if I should rethink and maybe get in there a little sooner this year. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fair point. It's the kind of thing where I would be looking for a massive cold front coming through to target those stands. Because if you, I mean, not that you couldn't get lucky and go in on a night like this and you know, you might still get lucky, but just overall playing the numbers, you, you get a big cold front rolling through like that. That's the kind of night where I would consider it. I think kind of like this upcoming weekend where we're going to have a 30 degree difference between uh, this weekend and next. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly (laughs) what I'm talking about. You know, the other thing that I've really tried to make an effort for this year, just seeing how many acorns there are, I've been picking them up by the cooler full. Um, it's, it's a pain. I'm not going to lie. It kind of sucks picking up all these acorns, but 
Man, time and again, when I've done tree planting projects, I see with oaks at least typically better results from what they call direct seeding, which is just, you know, scattering the acorns over something that's kind of been site prepped versus planting seedlings. Planting seedlings works, but your mortality just seems to be so much higher with those than it does with these direct seedings. And I think it's just because they don't go through that stress and the, the acorn can just keep putting roots down. So that's another thing that I'm really focusing this fall on is at least collecting the acorns um, just so I can keep them in cold storage over the winter. And then, you know, I have a few areas where I really like to thicken things up, some more open areas. Um, and I'm always big on trying to get younger oaks going because with the deer numbers that we have in central Minnesota, it's really hard to get oak regeneration going. Um, yeah. You know, we have a, a canopy of oak, but there's almost none in the understory. So just getting them going to the point where, okay, we've got oaks germinated. There's, there's a, a standing crop of these young oaks now. Now start picking and choosing which ones to either put tubes on or cage just to keep the deer from browsing on them. But that's a huge habitat thing for me is trying to get oaks going again. I'm, I'm really trying to bank on that this year with all the acorns. So you're actually picking up the acorn and, and moving them and, and, and planting in specific areas? Yeah. So it's, like I said, it's, it's tedious, but a shop vac actually works fairly well. Um, it's, you're gonna you're gonna feel silly. I can promise you that because you're gonna be down on your hands and knees with a shop back. But <laughs> you'd be amazed how quick you can pick up a full cooler of acorns. And I mean, even if 50% of those are viable, that's a lot of young oaks that could potentially grow in the future. Ryan, do you ever accidentally trip and dump a pile in front of your tree stand? <laughs> it hasn't. It hasn't happened yet, but I could see how that sort of thing could happen if you were in the vicinity of a tree stand. <laughs> I don't know. There's this hole right in front of my stand that just, oh, man, whatever's in my hand just tips right over. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, that's a great point, Ryan. And, uh, you know, people should consider that sort of thing. When One other thing I wanted to talk to you, we have about five minutes with you. You had an article about must-haves for public land deer hunters. Is that true? Yeah. Um, I'm just getting yeah. into public land hunting, right? So I've hunted private land most of my life and um, I will be mm -hmm. on public land for the youth hunt with my son coming okay. up. Can you give take a couple minutes and kind of go over some highlights of things I need to have, things I need to be aware of? And maybe you can also answer a question for me um, about the regulations. I know that you're not with the DNR, but you're a whitetail guy. So what, what, um, what should I bring with me on public land? So that's a, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, you, you and I are very similar in that I grew up hunting private. I, I had to learn this public land game entirely on my own and I'm still learning. I am nowhere near an expert on this stuff yet, but you know, you do trial and error long enough and eventually you pick up a few pointers, but the, the biggest things that I can tell you to bring is a very good headlight and a backup to that because you will thank yourself whether you're going in in the dark or coming out in the dark one way or the other. Having that headlight is so critical because you would be amazed how easy it is to get turned around in the dark even if you've made that walk in and out a dozen times during daylight. So that's a huge first one. The second thing is always have a good knife on you. You know, I... I try to pack in light, but at the same time, it's, there's just so many times you're going to end up using it, even if it's to, you know, cut a piece of paracord or, you know, if you do end up getting a deer. So 
speaking of paracord, that's another one. I, I try to never leave the truck without at least a decent length of paracord. Um, in fact, just this Nebraska hunt that I was on earlier this, uh, this September here, I'm so glad I had it with me because it allowed, after I had a buck on the ground, I was able to essentially hang it up in a tree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that makes your skinning and taping and, and uh, butchering so much easier than if you're trying to do it on the ground. Um, trying to think what else you'd want around this area. I'm a big fan of a sturdy set of boots. Um, the other thing is a good set of binos. Um, and, you know, me, I'm always bringing my phone and a spare power bank with, mm-hmm. and that's just because I spend a lot of time on Onyx, even while I'm sitting out there hunting, um, just digitally scouting and trying to trying to put all the pieces together while you're out on the ground, too, even though you might just be sitting there in your setup. Um, it's amazing how you can kind of, you know, have those light bulb moments sometimes. That's, that's those all great advice. Uh, I have a question for you. It, don't be afraid if you can't answer this. And I'm a little naive cause I've never taken a youth hunter out. Um, sure. we're going to be in a buck only area, but if I read correctly, if he's under 18, he can harvest a doe. Do you know if that's correct or not? I do believe that is correct. Yes. Okay. So typically youth hunters are exempted from any sort of, you know, dill permits or yep. bucks only type regulations. So that should be correct. Okay. I won't hold you to that. And I won't tell the DNR that if I get in trouble or something, <laughs> but you know, I did read it and it's, you know, it's, it's a buck only area, but then there's a, can I harvest antlers section of the regulations? And, and I believe it said if you're under 18 or over 80 something that doesn't apply to you. So I just wanted to make sure because, uh, you know, I sure obviously his first deer, I'd love if he shot a doe, you know, most people shoot a doe for their yeah. first deer. So, right. um, I'd love to have that happen. And obviously I want to be legal about it. Right. I have, I have one other quick yeah. question. Um, we only have a minute yep. here just on public land etiquette. Now, if there, if we encounter a stand in public land, technically that's public or is that, is that, a no-no to use that. That stand. is a great, great question. So a couple things real quick that I would say about all that. Um, first and foremost, any time that I run into somebody in the parking lot, mm-hmm. I am going out of my way to talk to them because yep. I want to know where they're going to be. Right. So, you know, you worst case, somebody might be kind of a jerk to you and you know, it is what it is, but right. I try to find out where somebody else is going to be. So I don't ruin their hunt. Right. Um, Second thing is if you stumble across a stand like that, I, I don't know. I personally have never climbed up in one. Technically, it's illegal in a lot of areas to leave your stand out. Right. Um, but the flip side of that is, at least for my money, if I see a stand, I'm going the opposite direction because yeah. that tells me two things. Mm-hmm. Either A, somebody is already on to this spot and there's already been pressure here, or B, this is just a known area and I need to get further away from people because the deer have probably already adjusted. So that the biggest tip I could give you public land wise is try to find something that doesn't look that good. (laughs) Right. Great points, Ryan. Uh, we got to wrap it up here. It's the the end of the hour. I just want to thank you so much for joining us. I hope that we can have you back a few more times during the deer season, uh, just to catch up with you and see how it goes. And thank you for all the great pointers And for those of you that haven't um, read any of his work, check out the Outdoor News. Ryan Rothstein, well done, sir. Well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Love to do it again. Thanks, Ryan. Great. Thanks. 
Well, that's it, Barry. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Um, I appreciate everyone listening and, and making it through the hour with us, and I hope you learned something. So, get outside and make some memories. <laughs>